0: I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Levin. I'm a grief therapist and the founder of From Grief to Growth, the host of the podcast Untethered, Healing the Pain from a Sudden Death, and I'm the creator and author of the Growing After Traumatic Loss course. I provide support, guidance, and teachings to help you with the aftermath of chaos, trauma, and grief. Hi everyone, and welcome to Untethered, healing the pain from a sudden death. I'm Dr. Jennifer Levin, and I specialize in traumatic death and helping individuals through the struggles, pain, trauma, and chaos of an unexpected death. Today's podcast is a little like our last one in that it is also anonymous in nature. However, the story could not be more different. Our interview today is with a woman whose son died suddenly in January of 2022 from COVID. At the time of this recording, the CDC has estimated that a total of 1,123,613 Americans have now died from COVID. Many people think that these numbers are not accurate and highly underestimate the actual number of people who have died from COVID-related causes. As I'm sure many of you know, and you will hear from our guests today, early on, when someone died from COVID, it not only complicated the grieving process, but it logistically made it difficult to be with loved ones that you wanted to be with to comfort and support you during the pain of grief. So why don't you start us off today and tell us a little bit about yourself and your family.
1: Okay, well, I've been a single parent since my boys were five and two, and my oldest son is turning 50 next week, and my younger son was 45 when he died last year. My older son lives in Pennsylvania with his dear wife and their three children all under 10, and my son-in-law, the husband of my son who died, lives in New York with their two children, one of whom was born seven months after my son died. Um, I've lived in Southern California area all my life, went to college nearby, so I have deep roots here, as do my children for growing up here. I've attended the same church for over 60 years and am fairly active in our community. Um, I've worked in healthcare my whole career and still work part time with some support groups with various illnesses. So I'm fortunate to have quite a few people around uh, whom I've known for a long time. It's tough being so far away from my family, but I fortunately am able to go there um, three to four to five times a year, except for COVID, of course. That was a big space. Yeah. But, but now I'm trying to get back on schedule for that.
0: Yeah. So before we get into the heavy details of of what happened to your son and and your grief experience, can you share with us um, why you wanted today's interview
1: to be anonymous in nature? Well, I've wanted this to be anonymous out of respect for my immediate family. My son-in-law, the husband of my younger son who died, is a very private person. And as are my son and daughter-in-law uh, in their own way. And my younger son who died was quite well known nationally in his field. And as are kind of my son-in-law and my other son and family. And I just felt it would be an invasion of their privacy if I used their names. So I will be talking about my older son and my younger son, my son-in-law and my daughter-in-law. Okay, well, I'm just very, um, I'm glad that
0: you still felt comfortable coming and, and sharing your story. And I'm in any way, um, just glad that you're willing to be here today. So if you can, take us back and and
1: talk to us about the day that your son died. Okay, that's a tough one. Um, Early in the morning of January 4th, last year, 2022, I received a call from my son-in-law in in New York who told me that my son um, had had a cardiac arrest and was at New York Presbyterian in ICU and was unconscious. My son-in-law's voice was very shaky and he said, I am so scared. Um, Just the week before, there were 17 members of our family who'd been together for Christmas. This was January 4th. Um, My son had minor sniffles and a slight cough, but we also had eight children, all under nine. And there were other sniffles and coughs around, so we didn't think much about it. My younger son and son-in-law were also testing for COVID every single day because they had an 18-month-old daughter. And they certainly didn't want her to get COVID. We had also all tested before we came together three days before that. And my son really seemed okay. He was healthy. He was physically fit. He was vaccinated, taking all the proper precautions. And um, during the time that we were together, my son and his husband had a celebration to announce to us that they were expecting their second child, who was a little boy that was due in August. We were thrilled and excited, and a couple of days later, we all left to return to our various places where we lived across the country. So to have this news five days later, so totally unexpected, was a shock. Uh, I was the first person my son-in-law called. I, in turn, called my other son just two hours away in Philadelphia, and within an hour, he and my daughter-in-law had found a friend to take care of their three children, and they were on their way to New York to be with my son and my son-in-law. And they arrived at the hospital about 10 minutes after my son had died. Uh, A few minutes after they arrived, which was about four hours after that first call, I was kind of waiting here that whole time for some kind of word. Uh, My older son called me and told me with such a gentle voice that I remember to this day that my younger son, his brother, had passed away and was in the arms of Jesus. I yelled into the phone, no, 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 and I think I actually dropped the phone. I found out later that day that my younger son did have COVID in spite of testing negative the whole two weeks before. Wow. He he'd kind of not felt good the night before and went to urgent care that morning of the 4th and collapsed at the door of urgent care with a cardiac arrest. He never, never regained consciousness, although he was revived nine times over the next couple of hours. Early, earlier that morning, I'd called several friends, all of who knew my sons and their families to be praying, and I now called them again to tell them that he had died. I heard the shock in their voices that I had in mind. It was impossible, unbelievable. No, it hasn't happened. I had COVID myself and could not be in close contact with anyone. I live in a senior community, but my friends came to my front lawn within an hour and gathered around and prayed for me as I stayed up on my steps. So I felt their support, even though I couldn't hug or be close to anyone. And then the rest of that day was spent talking to my older son and calling my son's friends, having them form a telephone tree. And it's kind of a blur, and it was so numbing and impossible to believe that I don't remember actually all the details of that particular day. Oh, my goodness. When did you find out that you had COVID? That was about two days after I had returned from New York. So that was about three days before. He only had symptoms for like 12 hours where he felt really bad. And they'd been testing every day, like I said, and it was always negative. And then in the hospital, he did test positive. So that's just a mystery to us why his body collapsed so quickly with a cardiac arrest and some of the COVID was even in his organs a little bit already. So that, that remains a mystery, but one that we have, are learning to live with.
0: Yeah. How would you describe um, your early grief experiences? I know you said,
1: you know, you can't even remember some things. Yeah um the early grief of course was shock I think we lived on shock for the next couple of weeks Um, unbelief I was physically nauseated when I would think about it um I couldn't leave to go back east because of COVID and it turned out to be 11 days before I could go back and even be with my family I was not really sick it was like a bad cold so it wasn't that I was sick other than that I kept testing positively. Um, And in the meantime, we had to postpone any memorial service back there or anything else, because we couldn't do anything, obviously, until I got back there. But not being able to be back there with family and being isolated here um, was just really, really difficult, because people couldn't come and be with me at all. We did realize we were going to need to have two memorial services, one back there where he had worked for 18 years for the same company, and then one out here because there were so many friends. And having lived here all my life, a lot of people knew my kids and everything else. So that was hard because they were five weeks apart. And so we kind of felt during this early grief that we almost had to put it on hold a bit. so that we just wouldn't collapse and not be able to do the next service so Mm -hmm. we were absolutely touched by all the people that came and everything else but it, it was a tough time in some ways i felt bereft and alone even in the midst of friends um none of them had lost a child so i couldn't expect them to understand what was going on but and then before this I didn't know that there were different kinds of grief. Mm. As much as I've worked in healthcare, I didn't realize it. All I had in, um, experienced was anticipatory grief mm. through the in the more lingering death of my parents and and other friends. I had a few friends who experienced traumatic grief, but until you experience it, you really don't know what it is. Um, so this traumatic, sudden grief was such a body blow and such a mind, an emotional blow that I didn't understand a lot of what was going on. I actually wanted to go, bed, go to bed and sleep so I could escape the pain. Mm. But on the other hand, I didn't want to wake up to this new reality. So it was just a very strange and new and unknown experience. I worried about my son-in-law, about my son and his wife, as well as the grandchildren. Being a mother, I kind of wanted to mother them and take the pain away, Um, but I couldn't even really understand my own pain. So it was just hard to keep that communication going Mm -hmm. long long distance. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So you're actually the first person um, that I've interviewed in my podcast that's experienced the death of a loved one from COVID Mm. and um, your son truly died suddenly from COVID. Mm -hmm. How did the pandemic, the lockdown, all of the restrictions impact your total grieving experience? You just talked about like, right, what happened right after Mm. your son died. But in terms of, you know, your entire grieving experience. And I know it's not over. No.
1: Um, neither not, COVID I
0: mean. or your grief. <laughs> true. true. Um, but talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, initially and still, I I have felt robbed by COVID and angry, angry at COVID, especially because, you know, I feel it killed my son. And also that in the midst of that, I couldn't be back east because of COVID. Um, I felt robbed. I couldn't be with the rest of my family. Um, I felt isolated. And throughout living in a senior community, and we at that time had a health care center here. So we were under extra restrictions because we were under the, the health department of where I live. And so we could not have visitors for a long time. We had to limit our contact of certainly with each other. And so there was a lot of of isolation. Now I'm an introvert, so some of that was okay, but there's a certain amount when you're grieving or going through things where you would like to have a pat on the shoulder mm-hmm. or a hug and mm-hmm. some of that was not possible certainly when i had covid it wasn't actually the first hug i had after died was from his from my son-in-law from his husband because as soon as i was cleared by urgent care that i didn't have covid anymore i caught the next plane back to new york um and landed and my son-in-law met me and that was the first hug in 12 days that I had afterwards. So the isolation and all the restrictions of COVID, with, you know, just having to think, and everybody's going through this, having to think about masks. Do I wear one? Do I not? What, you know, what rules are there here, et cetera? So it it was just a tough time. Um and good friends here that that are that aren't in the community where I live, but around the area I couldn't see them because we couldn't have any visitors Mm -hmm. so it was really very much a sense of isolation and difficult it's much more relaxed now I mean I feel more comfortable flying and everything else but that was even a huge concern because I would fly back there and then I didn't want to be with the baby the year and a half old baby um, or toddler at that age Because I didn't want to take anything to her, so I stayed with, you know, my Philadelphia family for seven days until I certainly didn't have anything going on. So there were a lot of logistics that made life difficult and still do in some ways. Um, At Christmas, I was with the family back there also, but never did get up to New York to see my son-in-law and the new baby because I had a cold. And with the children in Philadelphia being older, they had more immunity. So, And luckily, my now two-year-old daughter of my son-in-law and my son, she was able to come down and be with us in Philadelphia for a little bit. So that was special. But there are still those kinds of Mm -hmm. restrictions and concerns that we have because the little baby is only eight months old now. So it's still impacting, certainly.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I hope you don't mind. My little Winnie, my my dog, is snoring gently. Uh, I can't
1: even <laughs> as hear we're it. talking. <laughs> I can't hear it, but I can imagine she's so cute.
0: <laughs> so we know, gosh, grief is so isolating, and, and COVID um, just made it so much more isolating for you. Besides the Isolation, um, what are some of the other challenges that you struggled with that you faced while grieving the death of your son?
1: Ah, that's a tough one. Um, well, the death of my son has kind of been a wrenching alteration of expectations. Mm. I mean, it's, it's those shattered assumptions that you have talked about in another podcast. Um, we just kind of assume that this person's going to be there. This person's going to watch his children go up. He's going to be with his soulmate, his husband. Um, I'm going to be able to watch both my sons with their families be together in a new relationship, both being fathers and everything else. That's not there. The dreams are shattered and it's kind of it's almost an unconscious thing at first. And then when I realized, gosh, you know, everybody's dreams of being with my younger son and watching him. You know, over all these years, being with him, those are all shattered. Um, another thing is. I We all need to be building a new relationship. One with my son-in-law, because my son was always in the midst of that one also. My son-in-law is a different person. Um, Mm. My son used to communicate quite regularly. My son-in-law doesn't so much, but that's who he is. And that's how we've had to be careful not to lay the quote unquote normal expectations on him. Um, So it's a new it's a new dynamic there. It's actually a new dynamic with my older son and his wife and the grandchildren. My son, my younger son was such a presence when he was there and loved to celebrate people, was there for people when they needed him and everything else. And to not have that now, it does, it does ask us to be in a new way with each other mm-hmm. um, that we never certainly expected to be. Um, and then for me, knowing how to be there for my son-in-law and actually my son and my daughter-in-law. Um, we're all going through our grief differently. We're different people. It's a different process. It's a different moving in and out for each of us. We aren't all in the same place at the same time. And it's learning to, to grieve together, but individually. Um and honoring, honoring where we each are and not having any shoulds in there. But that's a new, that's certainly a new area to navigate for, for all of us. Um, and these are all ongoing processes. These are not completed in any way, but, but someone is missing in our lives and always will be. Absolutely. Yeah. I know you're a person of faith. Uh
0: How did your faith or how does your faith help you through your grief?
1: Oh, well, I believe in eternal life. I believe God has given us this gift and this hope. And that's the very basis of my life. I know my son is with Jesus. But in my humanity, to be honest, I want my son here. I want him here. I want to talk with him. I want to hear his dreams. I want to see him with his children. Um, A question is sometimes asked, you know, how could God do this? How could God take him away? And I don't believe that God caused his death. I've never been one to believe that. Or it's been said to me, God wanted him in heaven. So that's why he took him now. I don't believe that's true. Um, I don't believe God really wants us to go through this terrible pain and suffering, but we do. But I do believe so strongly that Jesus is with us in the midst of the pain Mm -hmm. and that he weeps with us in this mystery of why. There are questions that we'll never know the answer to, but I feel that that's part of faith, is leaving those questions with God and kind of moving ahead without absolutely knowing those answers. So it's been a, you know, the absolute basis um, for all of our family mm-hmm. with that.
0: It sounds like that's provided you um, a very strong foundation.
1: Yes, help get
0: through this,
1: right? Yeah,
0: yeah. What did you try, or how are you coping with your grief now?
1: Okay. I realize those are a couple questions <laughs> in one. <laughs> That's okay. Um, it's an ongoing process. And I've come to realize that it's not something. I, I think one of the main things I've come to realize, which was kind of in the middle of the first year, is that one does not move through grief because that for me implies an end. And I don't think there will ever be an end may change in intensity but it won't end. I don't believe one moves on from grief, which has been said to me, can't you move on? Um because that implies that you put it behind you. And my grief is a in relationship to how much I love my son and I'm not going to put that behind me and move on from it. So I've kind of decided that that one moves with the grief which mm. sometimes seems one step forward and two steps back or sideways or upside down or wherever it might take you. Grief, I've really learned, is not linear. It is not one step and then another step. Um, I've always been one to journal, so that has really helped to write down, especially when I was feeling so isolated, to write down. Sometimes my journaling would be directed toward... And sometimes it's directed toward God. And so it just, it varies kind of all over the place. But journaling has been a real help. Reading has been a real help. Reading has helped to validate where I am. Reading about others' experiences um, of people who've lost a child. At first, I was in a real fog. That fog lasted for six months. And I thought, this is not me. I'm an organizer. I can solve problems. I do details. I was in the committee meeting that I had called, which is one of the ineffective things I'll talk about in a minute. Um, I was in a committee meeting about six weeks after my son had died, and about halfway through, I couldn't take it anymore. There were so many details being expressed and needed and everything else, so I excused myself from the meeting, and I luckily had somebody that took over, but... I would find I would suddenly be unable to cope with something, Um, Mm -hmm. almost a panic attack, but not quite. And then therapy. I've been in grief therapy with Jennifer uh, for eight months, and that has been so, so, so helpful. Um, I didn't know about traumatic grief before Jennifer and I started meeting. Um, Jennifer, you've always given me action steps of something to do at the end of each session that has been and pointed out things that I didn't realize were going on and challenged me in that way. And so that's been a help more than I can say. And then I do have, I do have a very good friend who actually lost her son three months after I lost mine. And we've kind of had our own group therapy session uh, once or twice a week through all this. And one thing I have discovered when I'm in pain or sadness once I face that and kind of deal with what's going on, if I go out and do something for someone else, I it kind of reengages me with the world, mm. and either and I may just write a letter or a note, or I may go do something for someone else, whatever it might be. But it it kind of helps to move out of that a little. And my last thing is that I've been collecting rocks um, as a memorial to my son that I will put in my front yard. And they're from friends of his that were in different places with him. So they've gotten rocks from those areas and painted them lovely. And so that, to have something kind of physical as a memorial to him has been really good. You you alluded to that there were some things
0: you tried that were ineffective.
1: Yes. One is, in the beginning, when when someone would ask me how I was doing, I would kind of tell them. (laughs) (laughs) And I discovered pretty soon on that not everybody really wants to hear Hmm. how you're doing. Not that you cover it and say, I'm fine, you know, that typical answer we have. But I would say something like, I discovered afterwards, I'm doing okay today. Or I would even say, well, today's not a good day, but I'm plugging through. I would not really go into detail unless they pressed and I knew that they really wanted to hear. They were out of their kindness, asking, you know, identifying that I'm struggling. Um, But I didn't, I don't need a whole lot of people to know exactly where I am or what I'm doing. Um, But I, I was aware that I I would be probably saying too much. So that was something. The other one was being really careful about what I get back into. Um, as far as previous activities, some I've chosen not to do mm. anymore because they require too much mm-hmm. right now. But um, I'm one to kind of go in and solve the problem. And I'm, I'm not volunteering to do that as much as I used to. I, I'm realizing I need to take care of where I am so I can be better with other people. And if I'm not doing that, then that doesn't work out so well. Yeah. Ah, for better or worse, grief is quite the teacher. Yes, it indeed is. Yeah.
0: How has the death of your son um, impacted your identity or your role as a mother? Ah,
1: okay, Um, well, Part of me is missing. There's there's no doubt about it. I have a a bracelet on my wrist that I got soon after my son died. It says a piece of my heart lives in heaven. Mm. And that's really true. There's a piece of my heart that's missing. I think as mothers, when we birth our children, that's, that's a piece of us that is living. And now that piece is no longer living, at least here on earth. So there's a piece that's missing. There are always those questions, meeting someone new, how many children do you have? What do they do? Where do they live? At first, I honestly wondered, and this sounds weird, perhaps, but I wondered, okay, I have one child living. Am I still a mother to two children? And (laughs) it it just sounds kind of silly, but... My friend had that same question. A lot of people do. And it just sounds funny, but not funny, but it just doesn't sound right. But it didn't last long. But that question was was certainly there. And now I, I know I will always answer. I have two children because yes. I still do. Yes, you do. Um, and sometimes I'll explain more and sometimes I won't. It just depends on where it goes from there. It's very situational. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think now I can kind of intuit who to talk to and who not to. So I think as we live with this, we're kind of aware, as I said before, of who really wants to know. And, you know, and if someone asks, what do they do? And I haven't explained that first. I will say something like, well, one of my sons passed away last year from COVID, but but we're doing okay. And then my other son does. So I get it out there because it would be really awkward if later in the conversation, it was found out and I hadn't said anything. But then I kind of move on. So again, if they're really interested, they'll go back to it. But if they aren't, then I've said enough and we go on.
0: Yeah. So you figured out a way to navigate that. Right. That you're comfortable.
1: Yes. And I think a couple of the other things I feel so much more deeply connected to the suffering in the world. Hmm. Um, I'll read a story or I'll hear on the news, you know, of of loss. And it it hurts more. I can't put it any other way. It does hurt more. Um, but I also consciously want to be more present in each moment with who I'm with. Hmm. And just know that I just treasure, treasure those moments. And, you know, I want to enjoy the world my son enjoyed the world and to honor him as well as be there for my friends and family. I want to enjoy, enjoy life. What a way to honor him. Yeah, that's kind of what we all feel, I think. Yeah.
0: So in closing, um, what advice would you give to other mothers who are grieving the sudden death or the loss of their child, especially an adult child?
1: Well, the loss is intense. It's upside down. It's not supposed to happen this way. Um, You know, we give birth. They are a part of us. Um, Everybody's different. And I've been experiencing this for 14 months, but I think one thing is to not compare your grief to anyone else's. Mm-hmm. We are all in our own spot, and where we are is where we are supposed to be. And to work with that, um, we are each unique in how we experience. We're unique in our relationship with our child. And we, I think we need to recognize that. Learn who you can talk with and who is not good for you to talk with Mm. and that's not to shun people it's just it depends on how much you reveal to those people and I would say you will have people give unsolicited advice and shoulds and my advice there would be don't absorb their comments just have almost a little shield in front of you in a sense They are where they are with their experience with grief. And that is not where you are. And there are no shoulds. There just aren't. And that's, that's hard in our world of performing and producing and everything else. Um, so that, you know, that is certainly one of the best lessons is that there are no shoulds. There's no right way where you are is the right way for you. Well, wow. that's very well said.
0: What about for those moms such as yourself who were unable to be present, you know, with their children. Yeah. And they died. That's gotta be so difficult.
1: That's a tough one, and I'm not absolutely sure where I am with that. Um I am a very visual person. And I really feel for my younger son's husband, my older son and his wife who were there with my son after he had died, they were there in the hospital and he was still in the bed. That that is a visual that I can kind of invent if I want to, but I wasn't there. For me personally, my last memory with my son was in the midst of his big bear hug Mm. he's six foot six foot four long arms and he would just envelop me in a bear hug a lot of people not just me but that's my last image and my last visual image of my son when we left at christmas and when i said i'll see you in a couple months um i i personally would rather be left with that image okay than the image of him lying in the bed Um, when my father died I did see him and he'd been ravaged by cancer and everything else it was 10 months before I could get rid of that image in my head so in in for me I I mean I know that I know in my belief system that my son was not there Um, so for me it's it was kind of okay but I know that is so so individual also
0: so sometimes it can actually be a blessing
1: yeah and in my case i think it was okay
0: anything else you'd like to add
1: oh i think maybe the last thing would be is to be gentle with yourself Mm. give yourself grace when doing things it's a new world nothing will ever be the same again um, it's hard to decide how to get back into life. <clears throat> um, all I've talked about, as I said, is still in process for me. I know that I am building a new life around the hole that's in my heart. The edges were very sharp at first. Now the edges have softened a bit. But that hole is always going to be there. Yeah. And so I think being gentle, giving yourself grace. Um, are two key things that I keep trying to do. Well, thank you so
0: much for sharing with us today. And it's very encouraging to hear that the holes and the edges are softening.
1: Thank you very much.
0: So, Again, appreciate your time and everything that you've shared. Today's podcast guest was one of the millions of people in the United States who's been directly impacted by the death of a loved one from COVID. She provided us with an up-close look at how COVID impacts the family system, and more specifically, how the death of a child is devastating at any age for a mother. Through her grief work, our guest shared how she's continuing to learn how to navigate her needs as a grieving mother and how to renegotiate the relationship dynamics with her son-in-law, her remaining child, and even her grandchildren. The geographic distance between her family, the restrictions of COVID, and the absence of her son, who was the one whom initiated the majority of family interactions added to the complexity of her situation and the isolation that often accompanies grief. As our interviewee mentioned, we had the opportunity to work together for a point in time during her grief. In addition to her therapy, she was very engaged in writing, reading about grief, personal reflection, and giving back to others. And these were additional forms that contributed to her therapeutic healing. She was invested in understanding her pain, the pain of her family, and committed to figuring out the best ways to honor and meet the needs of the entire family unit that was grieving. She also wanted to honor her son, and has continued to figure out how to do so as she continues to live her life. As a mother, I can only begin to imagine the unbearable magnitude of grief associated with the death of a child at any age. It was such a gift to work with her and she was so dedicated to be open and vulnerable in her pain. And today she was so willing to share her story in service of helping other mothers, and anyone who has experienced the sudden and unexpected death of a loved one to COVID. If you would like an opportunity to connect with today's guest, please join our Facebook group, talking about the podcast Untethered with Dr. Levin. If you post a question or a message, we will help facilitate communication between you and our podcast guest. Our next podcast episode will be on Wednesday, April 12th, and it's going to be the first of a two-part interview with Kim Canton, who is the author of the upcoming book, Where the Yellow Flowers Grow. Kim is going to share the story of the sudden and unexpected death of both her husband and her son, who died in the Montecito mudslides near Santa Barbara, California, in January of 2018. Thank you so much for joining today's episode of Untethered, Healing the Pain After a Sudden Death. For help with a sudden and unexpected death, please sign up for my free mini course, where I will teach you about the three truths about living with a sudden and unexpected loss. Please go to my website from grieftogrowth.com to sign up. Bye for now. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast so you never miss an episode. For help with a sudden and unexpected loss, sign up for my free mini course where I will teach you the three truths about living with a sudden and unexpected loss. Please visit www.fromgrieftogrowth.com to sign up.